Welcome to the We're Alive Fancast. And now, your host, Mr. Redbeard and Mick. Now enjoy the show. Welcome to Episode 5 of the We're Alive Fancast, where we cover every new release of the We're Alive audio drama. I'm Mick. I'm Redbeard. And uh, real quick, spoiler warning, we're going to be covering Chapter 37, Part 2. And I don't have anything else for the intro. I don't have any other intro bits. Okay. Okay, in our first segment tonight, a new segment is Corrections. Uh, seems we got a lot of things wrong last week, Redbeard. <laughs> But uh, the first thing that we got was I had talked about Amy and how I thought maybe she was a new character. And Regan tweeted uh, that Amy was in Chapter 19, so it wasn't her first appearance. And then more and more people started coming along and letting us know, you know, know, Amy did this and Amy did that. And I remember it now, but not at all last week. It it just, she seems insignificant. She didn't really do (laughs) a whole lot. And Michael didn't seem to remember her anyway, so yeah, we're going to make mistakes, but that one I don't see as being a big deal. Nope. And at some point, we were con- I think we were confused about exactly what gate- Gatekeeper was doing, but We're Alive tweeted to let us know he's dead. <laughs> I don't know how we could have overlooked that, but yeah. Well, you know, die. I was a little confused when we were talking about it on the show last time. And I went and looked it up on Wiki as we were talking, and it didn't mention that he was dead. So right. I, I just kind of went with the flow instead of trying to figure it out. <laughs> I, I got I get lost in the details. Same here, same here. And before we launch into the the show coverage, we've got a little bit of uh, Mick Red news we want to share. This fall, we will begin production on a show called Dare to Survive. On this show, we will be taking survival dares from the audience and putting them to the test. Uh, We're going to cover both wilderness and urban survival, but for more information, you can visit daretosurvive.com. That's right, and we're looking at making this a, uh, not just, there might be a companion podcast, but it's going to be a video deal, you know, where it shows us trying to do whatever thing it is that has to do with survival. And I'm just going to go ahead. We have it on our website, too, but I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there. We're not experts. We don't claim to be. And that's exactly the point. Yeah. I'm just excited to go camping, really. <laughs> yeah, same and here. Whatever kind of fun stuff that we can do to, you know, have a community, an audience, you know, to share it with, that, that would be even better. Definitely. So tonight we're going to do a little bit, a little something different than we did last week. We're just kind of going to go with scene-by-scene breakdowns, and talk about it as it feels natural. At least an attempt to. (laughs) Yes, as it feels natural, at least. (laughs) may not sound all that natural. So this episode opens up with Michael making chloroform. Saul is rushing him, and the stress is high. You know, and uh, as as they're moving along, Saul asks where Michael learned how to do this, and Michael answers, from some guys I shared a tent with. (laughs) This is kind of understood. This is probably during a deployment. Saul asked if they were getting high. When Saul asked Michael if he had used used it, Michael replies, no comment, and says it was more fun to make it. Saul seems surprised by this and asks Michael if he had done any other like stronger drugs. 
Michael says that that was a long time ago and justifies it with the useful knowledge. Now, here, uh, this is just kind of an interesting little tidbit, my take on it. Uh, a lot of the combat units and uh, that are on deployment, especially in the Middle East, are not allowed to consume alcohol. And this could be for a multitude of reasons. Uh, the Middle Eastern countries, if we're working in conjunction with them, don't like alcohol. It's, you know, uh, being brought into their country because of the Islamic uh, rule and everything there. But um, the other side is, is sometimes the units don't allow it because of safety issues. But soldiers will always find a way to blow off steam and have some kind of a release. And when I first joined the military, um, there were a couple of guys in there that were Vietnam and Desert Storm era vets. And they both had their own versions of how they made crude wine using like bread, sugar, fruit, and drink mixes like Kool-Aid. Wow. Uh, the Vietnam era guys took it to a whole new level and they talked about using the radiator in the old Jeeps to distill the alcohol. <laughs> so this doesn't really surprise me a whole lot that this was going on with Michael being deployed, you know, and the more common thing is prescription drugs like uh, Xanax and painkillers for people nowadays. But I guess it's whatever takes the edge off when right. you're in that stressful situation. Wow. And I think we learned, you know, a lot about Michael with that. And that, that struck, it really struck me crazy because he's been so straight laced for much of this, the series. I didn't, I didn't see that coming at all. And I wonder if, you know, since Saul was asking him and Michael didn't want to talk about it, I wonder if they're going to leave it there or if we'll see anything about this in the future. I mean, if if this season has, and this is really reading into it, but like if this season led into him having some kind of uh, abuse problem, that would be really interesting. Oh. <laughs> I would hate for it to happen. <laughs> well, you know, I was kind of wondering if uh, that's more of what defines his character, you know, like uh, because, I, just, you know, he's decided I'm not going to do these you know, drugs. I'm not going to try to suppress it with chemicals. Right. I wonder if him being standoffish and cold is his way to deal with stress in situations that he's not comfortable with. It would certainly seem like it. It's been his his go-to reaction to a lot of things. <laughs> yes, to a lot of things. So, let's see. Michael and Saul make their way back to CJ, and it comes up that CJ is just now finding out that she's going to lose her leg. She's arguing that she'll be good as dead if they take her leg, that she won't be able to survive. Her biggest problem with the amputation is that she sees it as something that will make her weak. You know, there's been a tourniquet on her leg this entire time, and it was kind of a double-edged sword. Though without the tourniquet, the blood was going to keep gushing out, and she's going to die from bleeding out. Or, you know, and with it on there, she's going to lose her leg because there's been no circulation through it. Yeah, that that leg had to come off yeah it's gonna get gangrenous or you're gonna get have sep- sepsis from it i mean there's a lot of bad stuff that could happen from that mm-hmm. before tanya can continue saul tells cj that she has to decide it's it's her decision saul points out the caches of supplies plans safe houses that cj has set up as well as her skills and intelligence that she possesses you know, and Saul points out that no one else can do what CJ does. As long and he says, as long as you have this. Now it's kind of funny because we can't see what's going on, but we assume mm-hmm. he's pointing at her head. Right. 
And at this time, CJ finally agrees and says, do it. Yeah, I mean, CJ has these, those like Batman like technical, <laughs> the Batman like tactical uh, strategic qualities that make her, you know, extremely valuable to any group like this. And that's also going to really help her to survive. I mean, with all these different backup plans and contingency plans that she has, she's going to oh. be awful hard to kill even without a leg. Oh, yeah. I still picture her as that awesome ninja pirate, <laughs> though, <laughs> with the sweet headband in the wind and her on a hill with her with yeah. katana, you know. <laughs> she, You know, it's pretty amazing because she's always thinking like five steps ahead of everybody else. And she can see things unfold before they ever happen. It's just, it's amazing. Okay. This is, this is a, maybe jumping in a little bit too quick, but thinking tactical and strat, uh, strategic now. I'm, and I'm thinking about Michael and CJ and the balance of power. <laughs> yes. I, I was thinking about this too. Michael might be the tactical leader and CJ, I mean, they could both, they both need to be leaders, but CJ's definitely her forte is in strategy. And you know, long-term planning. Whereas Michael, I think, is, should take over and continue his role as the tactical leader. Yeah, and the quick reaction. Mm -hmm. But and I'm going to bring that uh, that that same subject up again near the end. Okay, great. So okay, at this point, they they've applied the chloroform and it's not putting her to sleep. And that you know, this is normal. But that is furthest from normal as I can put in my head because that ter that is terrifying. Oh my goodness, gruesome! <laughs> it's being able to feel or not, just to be aware that that's going on. I don't, yeah, I'd be going crazy. Mm -hmm. So just before the surgery begins, CJ makes sure that Saul is standing by her side. So Hope is coming through the door and asking if there's anything they need, and uh, Tanya says uh, no, and Michael asks if she really needs to be here. Period. And Tanya says, uh, have Max bring you back to the house or whatever she's staying in. That's right. And who is Max? I feel dumb. I'm so scared to ask after the Amy situation, but <laughs> I'm not going to be that way. I'm going to throw it all out there and I'm get corrected. But who's Max? I, I don't remember him. And I, before the show started, we tried to go out on the forum and I, I, I did a search for Max. I don't know if the term's not long enough or... I have no idea. I don't know who Max is. I don't remember him. He's not in the wikis. Mm -hmm. I got nothing. I googled we're live, you know, in quotes, and Max also just to see what I could find. And, of course, all I could find was a Max Brooks post. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or posting on Max Brooks, that is. Yeah. So if somebody in the audience can answer that for us, that would be uh, much appreciated. Yes, it would. So... I thought it was very interesting here because Saul seems to be the voice of reason for CJ. And the whole interaction shows how close Saul and CJ really are and how much she has uh, come to trust Saul. And I, I thought that was kind of a, a defining moment for it because they've always had their little bickering moments back and forth. And you, we know that she was uh, she's very into Saul. So... Yeah, he he uh he rushed her along those stages of grief really quickly. Like whenever she was fighting it, I was like, "Oh no, she's in grief," and I would be too. And a lot of people, most everybody, I'm sure, would uh, be in denial if they had to lose their leg. 
especially that quickly. But yeah, he he brought her through that pretty quick. I, I think that shows the growth of Saul quite a bit because he seems to have a knack for it. Yeah. While CJ's on the table, the music starts up. Holy wars for what goes on behind closed doors. And I was trying to figure out who this band was, if there's some kind of meaning. And, you know, is this only in CJ's head, which I, I, I'm pretty sure it is now. But Casey put it out on the forums that the band is uh, called Beast and the song is called Sweating Bullets. And uh, we'll put that out in the show notes as well. There's a link to the page where they're selling their music. Cool. The surgery lasted for five hours, and we are told that CJ survived. And this is told from the perspective of Michael's journal. Two days later, the colony is fairly quiet. Sounds like everyone is taking part in making sure things are getting done. The bodies have been removed from inside the colony walls. And Michael says that no single person was in charge. We all were. Soldiers have taken over the guardian positions. And Michael says that he is delayed making his rounds because of her, referring to Pegs. Mm-hmm. Puck, Victor, and it's either Robbins or Maldoon, they're probably all there, are sitting around BSing, telling stories when Michael comes by. They were just replaced on guard duty by a short, freckled guy and Bert. Now, I'm not 100% sure who they're referring to on the short, freckled guy. But I think they're talking about Datu. You know, I had some Filipino friends back in the day that they they were very freckled and most of them were short. So I'm thinking maybe that's who they're talking about. Hmm. Maybe it's Max. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's Max. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd I'd be surprised if it was Datu. I think they would call him something else. He's a lot, you know, a lot of other things stand out about him. The guy that makes funny noises when he's scared, and you know, <laughs> or the guy that can fix everything <laughs> so the soldiers plus victor said they're about to go scavenge through the maulers belongings that were left over after they left and now for the most awkward moment in we're alive history <laughs> awkward moments in we're alive history <laughs> today michael. we salute you michael and pegs <laughs> So Michael reaches Peg's apartment, house, whatever it is inside the colony, and he pauses for a moment to, uh, to bring up, you know, to get up the courage to knock on the door. When he does, Peg's answers out, you know, she comes to the door and she comes off as cold and distant when greeting Michael. And right as they're about to start talking, Saul comes up and realizes what's going on and leads Riley and Lizzie away from the situation so that Michael and Pegs can talk. You know, at one point, Michael says, I'm here now, and Peg replies clearly. And huh. I just I thought this whole interaction was just going south. Pegs tells Michael she was seeing someone else in Boulder and confirms she got the letters Michael wrote to her but couldn't bring herself to write back. It's not clear how long she waited, but Pegs said the letters started coming after she had already started seeing this other guy. And we also find out the other guy died in either Boulder on his way to Irwin. Uh, Peg said that she wanted to make it clear that she is grateful for all Michael has done, but doesn't know if she wants what they had. And uh, when it's all said and done, Michael states that a lot of things have brought him pain, but nothing hurt me quite as deep as that did. Yep. 
she started to lose it there as she closed the door. Uh, she couldn't talk anymore. I don't know if it, if it was emotion about person she lost, which we don't. I don't think we know for sure that she died. That he died because she's like he's not here. Was was all. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we're, we're gonna. Yeah, he's probably dead. Yeah. But I'm, yeah, I didn't know if it was dead. over. I didn't know if the emotion that she was drawing up was because of Michael or that guy. I was kind of thinking that too. Yeah. I'm going to go with, since it's a story that, you know, we want to have a happy ending, <laughs> happy ending. I'm going to go with, I think she was upset about Michael and fighting back those feelings. I don't know. And maybe she's just, she wants to like Michael, but she doesn't think he can be there. Yeah. The way that she needs. Cause she's a very needy codependent person. I mean, that sounds really cruel, but I think she kind of deserves it after that one. Yeah. Cause I've received some dear John letters and they're not as painful as that. Because at least you know. Mm-hmm. Hey, Redbeard, some some people are upset that Pegs found somebody in Boulder. I've, I mean, on the forums, I just noticed, noticed a few different people say that, you know, they're upset at Pegs or upset that Pegs found somebody else. And they're kind of saying, you know, she's a little bit, I don't know, promiscuous is the word. <laughs> they, they were just they were saying that. Uh, what do you think about that? Well... I, I, there's two sides to it. I get that a lot of time has passed while she's been in Boulder. And they point out that that time period's longer than when Michael and her were together beforehand. So yeah. I, I kind of see it with that, you know, with the way Michael is and having that. And, and you know, I, I understand in some ways, but at the same time, the fact that they started out the initial, um, uh, outbreak and survival together that seems like it would be more impacting and and defined than someone that she started dating in her in Irwin or in uh in Boulder I mean right so I get both sides I don't I don't know but she seems like she's got to latch herself onto somebody constantly otherwise she's lost right I don't my what I think about her let's see how how do I want to say this my thoughts on this, you know, I'm not a. I was kind of upset, like, oh no, she's. That stinks that she found somebody else, and I kind of thought, wow, that was awful quick. But the more I thought about it, I'm like, you know, poor Pegs is in need of comforting. She it's, has it, been it from it the seems, beginning. It seems like, and she's been wanting that from Michael, and he wasn't getting, he wasn't doing it. He, you know, for maybe five minutes twice, he, you know, gave her what she needed. As far as that kind of affection, I don't really know exactly what, but but I and, think I think they're going to rush to get to her getting over the possible death of this other person. Yeah, I mean, I get it, and, and I mean, I understand that Michael's not an emotional guy. He doesn't really put himself out there like Peg does. But at the same time, it's just the fact that she did not write back at all. She's kind of left him hanging, and that that really bothered me. Because it's not like it was Michael's choice to have to stay. I mean, he 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 had to stay in her when they you know the whole they were using the military against him, saying that he would be disobeying a direct order if he left. So she left to go start a life because she she already made up her mind at that point, I think. But right, I don't know. I, I get both sides, and I'm sure she will try to hook up with Michael again because she needs somebody. That and uh, Michael, Michael does too, and that's why he 
he wants to he wants her too so I don't think he needs somebody that's so codependent though because he cannot give what that person needs unless he figures out what's you know I don't keeping think, him from I doing don't that. think she's codependent I just think she wants somebody to commit to her and Michael won't do it hadn't done it I think that's okay. gonna be what he does eventually I don't know it always seemed like she was looking for validation and I, I don't know I I don't know. Maybe she'll define herself later on this this season. <laughs> Maybe so. <laughs> so, okay. Michael is walking toward the soldiers and Victor and what seems to be a group of others rummaging through what the Maulers left behind. Puck starts to see that there's something up with Michael and starts asking if he's all right and realizes almost right away that it's Lady Troubles mm-hmm. and tries to get Michael's mind off of it by going through the Mauler stuff. Uh, around this time, Victor finds season three of Buffy, and that he was looking. And he mentions that he was looking for this one. Hmm. I think he was watching Buffy at Dunbar because they were watching whatever they had on hand and kept watching. You know, they were open to more things because there was nothing else. Yeah, I remember that. But sadly, that season of Buffy was missing missing disc three, disc two, disc two, season three. Sorry, my bad. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they not, were talk- I mean, it may be important, but I don't know. Yeah, there that that talk was. You brought the talk up before we started the show, and it had been brought up on the forums too. I'm, I don't know. I would like, I would like to for it to, to be that thought out, and I think, I, it, I think it probably is. I don't put it past Casey for for doing stuff like that, you know. Mm-hmm. So I ke- I keep hoping for something that kind of foreshadows what's going to happen next or something. But, you know, I think it's funny that Buffy comes up because we just got through talking about this during an interview with Claire. Right. We did. And that's as, as soon as Victor said that, I was like, wow, why does this keep coming up? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and uh, we brought up the idea of doing a We're Alive musical. And you may, uh, if you follow us on Twitter, you probably saw it on there. But I think it would be outstanding if they did something with a musical and, and we're alive. It doesn't even have to be part of the normal releases. Just, you know, that's something. right. And I, I don't want that in the normal release, but I would like <laughs> you know, to have an old show redone in that, in that way, just for fun. Although at JK West on Twitter said the best way to do it is to have CJ or Bert imagine it in a fever dream. And I, I think that's the best idea ever. And that my, would, mm-hmm. what, go ahead. And then yeah, I'm just picturing Bert like talking in his sleep, like what the? No. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> or or since Victor's been watching Buffy, you know he could, you know, fall asleep watching that. Yes. You know? <laughs> but you know, I'm gonna go ahead and just put it out there that uh, Casey shouldn't have a problem doing it. Joss Whedon did it, and you know, I think uh, it's a, it should be a challenge to make it work. That's right. That's right. Don't don't take it too serious. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> so, okay, so back to the storyline. One of the soldiers asked what's next, asking what the plan is. Michael starts to say he has some ideas when Victor interrupts and starts talking about the way Michael left the colony. Things start to get heated between Michael and Victor. Michael assumes his anger is because they they left Victor and Saul behind. You know, thinking they were dead. But Victor said he's forgiven him for all that. That that's not even in, in, in his mind anymore. 
And the, and Victor starts to explain that when he left the colony, he left it in a really messed up situation and left them with nothing. But Michael fires right back and points out that Victor is the one that took the weapons from the colony. Right. This is almost another awkward moment. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not sure why Victor is talking as if he had nothing to do with the situation. You know, they were both doing what they had to do not to get killed. Right. And But Victor also, he says... He says, you know, I, I did this stuff, but I'm not the one trying to lead them. Yeah, see, my first thought was Victor wants control, but then he said that, you know, he wants nothing to do with leading them. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know, it's just kind of awkward. And this is where I thought we this would be best to start talking about how the restructure could happen. And um, so, uh, Merlin1274 on the forums put out a post today saying, I think they should form some sort of a council so... Not just one person leads the colony. Hmm. And I, I really like this idea of dividing the power due to kind of the lessons learned already. I mean, what happened at, at Fort Irwin, what was already happened at the uh, colony before Michael got there, you know, that where it was so strict that no one could even leave the colony. Mm-hmm. And so I thought what you were saying, you know, Michael's over the military guys and CJ would be more long-term planning, more tactical planning. Right. I, thought that, I thought that would be a great mix. And then someone else that actually kind of is the liaison and leader of the civilians inside the colony, I think would be a great way to do it. That would be good. Also, I don't know, Tanya, the hospital maybe. Yeah. As, as just the council members, I'm trying to picture a council, you know, the medical board, the uh, surgeon general. <laughs> yeah. That's where I was going, I think. <laughs> I mean, that, that seems really cool. Pegs could be the surgeon. Uh, Plant, gen- I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> She'll find some way to be needed. Yes. <laughs> While Michael and Victor are arguing over the leadership issue and what happened with the colony, you hear one of the guys say, "What's this?" It kind of alludes to the fact that he's watching a video because he's talking about seeing a face and how messed up it was. And about that time, you hear Scratch's voice and. We as an audience know that this is the uh, interrogation of Angel, but Michael and that whole crew do not know anything about this at, the, you know, at this point. Yeah. Did you did you think for but a second? Michael's asking who oh, it was, and Victor eventually a- answered. Did you think for a second that that uh, Scratch was like in the area? Uh, I didn't know what was going on. I, I I was wondering if there was a radio at first, mm-hmm. uh, or you know she was like some kind of method of spying. I didn't know what was going on at first, and then it dawned on me pretty quickly though. Right, as as soon as I heard the gunshot, I I was pretty sure I knew what it was, but I was like, oh no, already! I, like, <laughs> I did not expect a conf- confrontation that quickly. Yeah, that, that's kind of what I was wondering. I was like, man, they're barely getting settled in. It's already starting, but um. So another thought on this whole interaction and Michael starting to find out about what happened to Angel is that uh, my fear is that Michael will be bent on fighting Scratch instead of dealing with the larger zombie problem. Or maybe not Michael, but uh, Riley. Yes, she's not going to... As we spoke with Claire in episode four, Riley's not going to take this well. No. (laughs) 
And, and, you know, I thought they did a really good job of not providing any spoilers because when you listen to those, I I didn't see a lot of this coming at all. That's right. I I would have a hard time with that. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I got to tell someone. (laughs) And that's about that. That's the end of the episode. Uh, Do you have any other thoughts? No, uh, we we went over them as we covered them. Cool. Did you have any other things you wanted to talk about? No, I think we covered them as we went. I thought that was a better format. All right. That was a great job, Redbeard. Now let's let's go into the favorite lines of the show. I've got one. Did you uh did you pull one out that you liked? Uh yes I did. What did I do with it? Go ahead with yours. Awesome. Maybe we'll find it. Okay, so whenever Michael's there talking to pegs, you know, Lizzie and Riley wanna come see Michael and talk to them and Saul's like, you know, get out of here. And I guess he kinda pushes Lizzie a little bit and she says, Don't push me, I'm pregnant. Saul, oh, says, yeah. Saul says, you can't use that excuse for everything. <laughs> but the problem with it is, you know, you can't use I'm pregnant for everything, but you certainly can use it when somebody's pushing you. <laughs> so, Saul, come on now. <laughs> yeah, you almost can't argue that. No. That argument either. It was a great quote. <laughs> Just forgot to use that somewhere else than when you're putting your hands on somebody. <laughs> Yes, my answer is everything Puck says. <laughs> Puck says. Uh, yeah, that's what uh, that's what I'm gonna have for this week. Okay, go ahead. No, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Puck is he's pretty funny. All right, moving along, uh, the zombie tropes or homages to other uh, other movies shows, whether intentional or not. Yes. Which is important because we know Casey doesn't follow many other zombie stories, including The Walking Dead and the housing situation that they're going through in this episode. But they're kind of talking about the Maulers had chosen their houses and basically just the housing situation. It reminds me of a couple times in The Walking Dead comic where they are picking out where they are in a neighborhood and they're picking out houses. Huh. But I don't want to go any further than that because well, uh, well, it's already happened in the comic, and they they passed right by that and never even did it. I, I thought for sure you're going to make a making. Uh, I thought you're going to be making a reference to Breaking Bad when they were making the chloroform. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that would be great to see a nice little uh, montage, Breaking Bad style montage for making chloroform and using what's, the audio song, from the. Yeah, what song would they pick though? I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. Definitely. Crystal Blue Persuasion wouldn't fit as well. <laughs> no, probably not. <laughs> All right. But it might it might make it that much funnier. Mm-hmm. Our last section that I have for uh, the coverage of this show, uh, Chapter 37, Part 2, is the ratings section. And if, if, have you thought about what you wanted the rated? I couldn't come down on a just a solid number that I could think either way or I just thought this is what this was. I didn't enjoy this episode as much as last week, but I was, you know, not every week can be that awesome. Yeah. Got to no, slow down sad. and tell other stories and things like that. Sadly, it can't. <laughs> I uh I thought this one really left me feeling uh like it was something was left hanging emotionally and kind of wanting to see the story unfold too. I, I would probably give this one like an 8.5. Yes, that's. I gave mine an 8, which is still an excellent score, and I think anything 7 and above is a 
you know, a really good score. Yeah, same on, here. On my rating, own personal rating system. But, yeah, I gave this one an 8. Mm, it covered a lot of ground. I mean, it covered a lot of different things. We had, like, I think five different segments, if you count the journal entry in there as, as, a, as a separate segment. And that's yeah. you know, all done in sub-20 minutes. You know, the fact that the story keeps building on what's already there makes makes it so there's possible to have just tons of information crammed into a small section. That's right. And the audio was great. I mean, as, as it always is. But, I mean, like when he was going to talk to Pegs, I mean, very faintly, I turned it up to listen to it. You can hear, like, it sounds like hammers and stuff off 200 yards in the distance where they're still doing construction. It's just that kind of attention to detail. I That's why I love the show. Yeah, absolutely. You know, <laughs> I bet, uh, oh, what's her, what's, uh, who's, who plays CJ? What's her name? I don't know. It's Constance Parn. Yeah, I think it's Constance Parn. But I, I, I bet she's probably tired of yelling by, by this point. <laughs> Because <laughs> that's about our only interaction with her in the last handful of episodes. That's right. If anyone's tired of yelling, I'd say it was Scratch, but CJ's not quite as used to it. No. You just had normal roles. But, <laughs> well, cool. Yeah. I enjoyed this episode. Me too. That's that's all my coverage for that. All I have left is uh, two things. First one being the news. All right, go ahead. And there's new We Are Live t-shirts for sale. In the shop at zombiepodcast.com. Uh, I, I took a look last week at some of the old ch- some of the old shirts, and there's this one shirt that's a picture of the tower, but at the same time, it's a picture of the man in the pinstripe suit standing in a hallway. You, you've got to go look at it. I mean, it's great. Uh, yeah, I went and checked it out. It's it's incredible. So it's, it's such a simplistic design that does so much. It does. I, I will have that shirt uh, before it's all said and done. Oh yeah, and. Uh, other zombie news, Black Ops 2, if there's any players out there, released its last downloadable content last week, Origins, and it, I'm just going to say it's awesome. I'm, I'm really liking it. I played it this weekend. You've got all kinds of crazy new stuff, thousand foot robots, which, what are those doing in a zombie game? But they're there, and it's amazing. Oh, I know. Uh, if you guys like to see any of the uh, video game play and walkthroughs, uh, McGinger's got a... Uh... A YouTube channel. You want to give a shout out for that? Sure. Yeah, Mick Ginger Zero. I've got some State of Decay gaming stuff up there. Some Daisy, um, the mod Daisy, which is a great little mod, and also just random Black Ops stuff that we do every now and then. Dude, I I've really got. I can't wait to have my Xbox back. Wife and kids are down in South Texas. So I'm back at home, and my Xbox is with them. So I haven't been able to play State of Decay yet. I've only seen you play it and. Mm-hmm. I'm like fiending for it now. <laughs> yep, I need to get back on there. There's been some updates to it. It's been a while. Oh, sweet. And it's supposed to go to Steam later, and I, I'm waiting for that one too. Yes, I've got to amp up some video coverage for that. Help out the PC people when they get it for the first time. Sweet. So, uh, last thing I have for tonight is the listener mail and tweets. And Chris W., good buddy on there, has a great question. And I, I thought about it a lot this week. And I couldn't come up with a good answer. So I want to think about it one more week and also ask you guys what he asked. So please send in um, send in some mail to, to we're live at mickred.com. And the question is, hey, WA Fancast, which character from the show do you feel you are most like? And if you were them, what would you have done different? So I know you said you got to wait a week. 
I've always kind of had an answer in the back of my head. Yeah. And my answer is I'm probably most like Datu. Hmm. <laughs> I could I see like, that. I like having a role and fulfilling it with no desire to be a leader. I like knowing how things work and being able to fix things. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm probably more opinionated and direct than he is. But I, I, at the same time, there's moments where I want to be seen and not heard. Mm-hmm. So I think he's the best fit. And if it wasn't him, it'd probably be a quieter version of Bert. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, you know, if I were Datu, I think I would try to be involved in the fight more often. And it, whether that was my demise or not. Um, and I would try to, I would have tried to stay in Irwin instead of going to Boulder. But I get that he was wanting to look after Hope. Right. That's completely within character for him, for sure. But I could, yeah, you would have stayed in Boulder. Or not Boulder, you would have stayed in Irwin. I know you. <laughs> <laughs> so. So send in your, uh, send in your answer to we're at mickred.com, M-I-C-K-R-E-D.com. And we look forward to seeing that, reading them next week. If that's all you've got, I'm ready to close the show out. Me too. Uh, this is Redbeard. This is Mick. We'll see you next week. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Thanks for listening to the We're Alive Fancast. If you would like to send feedback to the show, you can email us at we'realive at mickred.com, and we will read your mail on the show. We want to know what you think about We're Alive each week. Tweet us or email us your theories and reactions to that week's show. You can tweet us at, at WAFancast. Visit our website at mickred.com. Mickred is always spelled M-I-C-K-R-E-D. You can find the We're Alive Fancast on Facebook. Just search We're Alive Fancast. Special thanks to Kevin McLeod for letting us use his song Ghost Apocalypse in this podcast. This has been a Mickred production. Welcome to episode. <laughs> episode. <laughs> Puck and Victor Ro- Victor Blah. My notes are weird on that one. Hold on. Okay. Last thing I have for tonight is viewer, listener. No, I said it again. Not viewer. Okay. Last <laughs> other show, I- other show. I've got to erase that. He exhaled a sigh as he found himself in bumper to bumper traffic on the highway. He may never get to her on time.